to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This week we have Senior Pastor Heath Bauer bringing a powerful message about the Lord's Supper. Stick around to the end and find out how you can connect to Unity Baptist Church. God bless you. family. I pray that you'll, uh, you've brought your Bibles. If you have, open up to 1 Corinthians 11. If you have not brought a Bible with you, I do encourage you to bring them every week, not just to trust the scriptures we put on the screen. You want to keep us accountable. You've got to have a copy of the scriptures yourself. And along those lines, friend, if you haven't discovered it already here at Unity Baptist Church, we preach the Word of God. And, and the Word of God can be difficult to receive at times, can it? But I'm going to tell you, friends, as a pastor, I love you too much not to give you the truth. If I didn't care about you, we wouldn't preach the truth. Because the truth is, I'd only be concerned about me and wanting to gather large numbers of people here to make me feel successful. And then I just teach you a a really short little sermon that just makes you feel good, tickles your ears, and sends you home. But that's that's not a loving pastor. A loving pastor cares for the flock and their maturity and their understanding of God's Word. And so, friends, that's my commitment to you as we teach the Word of God. Uh, The Bible says that we are to rebuke, to reprove, and exhort with all diligence. And that's what we're going to try to do. So in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, it's one of the most famous passages for the Lord's Supper, and that's what we're going to be studying today. And the reason we're studying the Lord's Supper, you're thinking, I've taken the Lord's Supper since I was a little kid. I know about the Lord's Supper. But we're going to study it because we can't assume that of everyone. I grew up in a church. I didn't really understand what the Lord's Supper was. Uh, As a little kid, I knew it was an act of obedience. Once you got baptized, you take the Lord's Supper. And so uh, the the tray would come by, and I'm just picking out, let's see, where's the biggest cracker? If a little Lord's Supper is good, then a lot is even better, right? So I'm picking out the biggest one and fishing it out. And uh, the the juice comes by, and I'm thinking, this is the biggest one here. I'm going to that because I want a whole lot of whatever the Lord's Supper is, which I didn't know what the Lord's Supper was about. So we're going to study this morning the purposes of the Lord's Supper. What are we supposed to do other, I mean, is the Lord's Supper just a shot glass and a cracker? Is it more than that? Whenever we take the Lord's Supper, friends, I want you to think of three R's, okay? The first one is reconciliation, remembrance, and reflection, So let's look at reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to look at verses 17 and following. He says, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, and by the way, you know it's going to be tough whenever you're in Corinthians. The Corinthians weren't the healthiest church. And so Paul usually has a word of rebuke for them. So sometimes the words can be a little tough. Uh, But we're going to preach it anyway. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. 
thinking, wow, it's just some division, Paul. Take it easy. Every church has that. Friends, division in the church is an enormous deal. Why? I mean, when there was complaining and division in the Old Testament and griping about God's leaders, what did God do? He sent fiery serpents in and a whole lot of people died. Division's a big deal to God. Because if you think about it, what's the most important activity of the universe? The single most important work that's being done in the universe today. It is the proclamation of God's truth in the gospel. What happens when division takes place in a church? That stops. Is division a big deal? Absolutely. It stops the most important activity of the universe. And so Paul here is rebuking this pretty hard for that reason. So whatever the Corinthians did, we don't want this to be true of our church, not now and not ever. But it was divided. Why was the church at Corinth divided? Was it dividing over doctrine, trying to defend the faith? No, unfortunately. They were dividing over petty things. Uh, if you read the first chapter of 1 Corinthians 1, it reminds us you had factions over who, which leader they liked best. I am of Paul. Oh, yeah? Well, I am of Apollos over here. And then you got this guy over here. Well, I'm even more spiritual. I only follow Jesus. Okay? And so you had people siding up over leaders and, and, and hateful toward one another. It would be, theoretically, if people in this church were to say, I am of Pastor Kathy. Oh, but I am of Pastor Floyd. Oh, I'm of Pastor Jeremy. Or, and it goes on, right? Can that divide a church? as to which ideology you identify with most, friends, it doesn't matter the teacher. What matters is the Jesus that we follow, and when we follow Jesus, we love as Jesus loves. We love others, why? Because they earned it? No. We love others because he first loved us. And when that is the unifying element in a church, it doesn't matter who your pastor is or what ideology we like most. We line up together under the leadership of Jesus for the sake of the gospel. I was just driving around, uh, even Ashland here, and I won't tell you which church, but they had a sign, and it said, come to our church. Our pastor is better than yours. <laughs> is that the message we're trying to give off as a church, that we're competing, we're trying to take people? Friend, let me tell you right now, Unity Baptist Church is never going to be a church, at least under my leadership, where we are just trying to take people from churches. Now, people are welcome to join us. If you're not being fed the Word of God, by all means, join us. But if it is a healthy, gospel-preaching church, friends, we're not in competition. I ask God to bless those churches. It means the Word of God is going forth. And I think that's a good thing. And so we're not in competition. Not the Corinthians were. When you're carnal, you see everything as a competition. We have to be the best at everything. In 1 Corinthians 11, that wasn't the only thing that divided them. They were divided by wealth. Now, you see, because here he says that some are, you know, are eating and others have nothing, they had a whole meal when they would do the Lord's Supper. And I think that's a tradition maybe we could get behind, you know, uh, eating together with the Lord's Supper. But it was essentially a large church potluck. But instead of us, where you got Grandma making her big old dish of casserole, you know, and it's only one lady, and then you got... You got teens and college students, they're coming, they're bringing a bag of Doritos. But you know what? It doesn't matter. We all eat together, and it's okay. But in Corinth, what you had was the haves and the have-nots. You had the rich people over here, and they're bringing their lobster, filet mignon, and all that. And then you got these poor folks over here, and they got nothing. Or they got crackers and cheese or something. They've just very little, and they divided up. They wanted you to know. 
uh, there was so much pride in the church. They wanted you to know who had the money and who made this church run. Glad that could never happen in America. But it happened in Corinth. And they divided up over things like teachers and, and just ideologies. They divided up over preferences, over wealth. Paul says, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine, dokimas, approved, tried through fire, in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. What's he meaning there? He's, he's saying that factions in a church have a way of revealing our spiritual maturity. It reveals the nature of our heart. When we are factious in a church, there's one of, two, one of two things that are happening. One, we're walking in the flesh. We're behaving as, as Paul said in the, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, that we're behaving as mere men. When he says mere, he just means without Christ. You're behaving like lost people. You're still a Christian, but you're walking like a lost person is. Or the other option is, you're lost. Lost people make factions in a church. Carnal people make factions in a church. What do spiritual people do? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, defined in the Beatitudes what, what God's truly born-again people look like. And one of those things he said are, blessed are the peacemakers. Having been justified by faith, Romans says we have peace with God, and therefore that peace reigns in our heart, and we build peace. We preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's what defines the heart of a believer. We eagerly look for peace within the church, and we make peace. The opposite is here. Cursed are the factious. That factions arise from the flesh or just being lost. My own personal experience is that when our hearts are filled with and consumed with the gospel, our hearts are filled and consumed with Jesus, they're consumed with ministry, consumed with getting the gospel, consumed with discipleship, the little things just don't bother us. But when our hearts are full of petty things, petty things bother us. And so Paul is saying that factions reveal our spiritual maturity. Consider Jesus. Could you rile Jesus pretty easily? I'm here to tell you, you couldn't. Jesus, you could do a lot to him. You could strike him. You could pluck out his beard. You could spit on him. You could betray him. You could deny him. You could abandon him at the cross. You can drive nails into his hands. And what does the Bible say? He did not open his mouth. What did make Jesus mad? It's when the assembly of God's people was threatened by bad people. And then you see angry Jesus, throwing tables over, driving people out with a whip of cords, Jesus. That's what bothers him. And so it tells you a lot about a person's spiritual maturity by what makes them angry. What makes us angry indicates our heart values. Is it just personal inconvenience? You bothered me, you were late. Uh, you, you, you moved my table out of my classroom, you moved my decorations, I can't find something, and then we get angry and factious. Friends, it reveals something about our spiritual maturity. And that's hard. And we don't like to face that, except, friends, we have to face it to preserve unity within the church. And so the Lord's Supper is a continual reminder of communion. It's a common union that we have in Jesus Christ, and we don't want to offer him a broken communion. 
And so when we offer God religious observances, Jesus is very clear in Matthew 5 as to what we need to do first. He says, Matthew 5, 22 to 24, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. He's simply saying it is sin. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your, off, your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying? The relationship with one another is more important than any religious observance. Your love for one another is more important than your Sunday school class. Your love for, your, for one another is more important than your taking part in this one Lord's Supper. Your, your love for one another is more important than any activity that's going on here, friends, it, that we have to show our love toward one another. The world has to see that. And if the world sees infighting and trouble within the church, they can only rightly conclude, these people don't know God, because the one thing I do know about God is that God is love. Well, what do you do if there's a problem between two people in the church? You say, well, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. Well, I can't help if they're offended with me. I'm so weak. Uh, whose responsibility is it? It's both of ours. Obviously, it's the responsibility of somebody who has done the wrong deed, but sometimes that's hard to tell. But if you look at Matthew 5 that we just looked at, if you simply know that somebody has a problem with you, initiate reconciliation. He says, if you remember your brother has something against you, you do it. He, what he's saying is the same, term, uh, the same idea as Galatians 6.1. Uh, spiritual people restore people. Spiritual people, people who are minding the things of the Spirit, people who are behaving as God behaves, they're filled with the Spirit, they're full of love, joy, peace, and patience. They're restorative people. And so we have to decide as a church to be restorative, loving people, not holding grudges, not staying away, not avoiding people, not going to the grocery store, pushing down our cart, and we see someone we don't like from the church, and we go down another aisle. I can get that cereal later. You know, not that you've ever done that, but I do have a friend who did that. The Lord's Supper is also a time of remembrance. This Lord's Supper is about Jesus. It's, it's, it's focused on him. In verse 23, it's a time to remember his sacrifice. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember, we're meant to remember the Lord's sacrifice, which offered atonement for God. It appeased God's wrath against sin. God, being a perfect and righteous judge, must judge sin, or he would no longer be a good judge. A judge that just lets all the bad guys go is not a good judge. He needs to be removed. Well, God is a good judge, and he will even judge our sin. But when we sin against a high office, being an eternally high office, our punishment must also be infinite. And we need an infinite sacrifice. Jesus provided that. God in the flesh come to earth, lived the holy life we could not live, died for sins he did not commit, was buried, rose again on the third day. Friends, that's the gospel message. And this is a reminder of the gospel message. And he calls us to discern the Lord's body. It just means that we need to consider the high cost that Jesus paid for our salvation. 
The Lord's Supper is an opportunity to remember that. And because sometimes the gospel message, we hear it so much as a Christian, that sometimes it can just be kind of like, yeah, 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 I've heard that all before. The Lord's Supper is a time to say, no, this is, this is important, this is serious. To take unworthily the Lord's Supper, as it says in 1 Corinthians 11, means that we do not discern the Lord's body. We don't stop and think about the price he paid. This week we celebrated Veterans Day. We celebrated uh, the, the service that they gave for God and country. Those of you who have served our nation in this great way, you've been maybe to Veterans Day assemblies or Memorial Day gatherings. Maybe you've been to a ball game and you see people who, uh, they just, they treat it indifferently. National anthem gets played. Kids are just sitting there on their phones. Mom and dad don't teach them. Hey, this is important. We're, we're remembering those who gave their all to this nation. And they just sit there, and, you're, and, it's, and you are rightly frustrated. These, these, these kids have no idea the price that me and many of my friends paid to allow you the freedom to sit there and watch this football game. How much more offensive is it to not to recognize the creator of the universe who came to earth to die in our place and to treat this lightly? So we are to remember and to take it seriously. Verse 25 reminds us that the Lord's Supper is to proclaim his death. It says in the same way after the cup, after supper, uh, saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Now what is a new covenant? There's an old and new covenant largely in the Bible and the Old Testament. By the word testament is another way of saying a covenant. Under the Old Testament, these are the books where man was under the old covenant. The New Testament was the introduction of and the living out of the new covenant. The old covenant was a covenant of works. So God viewed mankind, if you will, as a child. What do you do with, when you got a little midget at home and he doesn't do uh, work right? You know, he doesn't think right. He does sinful he, things. He behaves selfishly. You put him under a law, don't you? You're not so foolish as a parent to give little kids adult freedoms, right? You don't just tell him love. You, you have to tell him what love looks like. Love means you don't hit your brother, okay? Uh, you have to give him, you have to give him gold stars, Right? To go to do good things at school. You've got to bring discipline when they do wrong things. You don't give them adult choices and adult freedoms because they're not adults. They're babies. They're children. They can't think for themselves fully yet. God is not so foolish a parent as to just tell the Old Testament children of Israel just, just love each other because they're like, mm. they don't know what that looks like. So God puts them under law, and in Deuteronomy 11, God basically says, you do good and I'll bless you, gold star. You do evil, I put you in the corner, bad things happen. He said in Deuteronomy 11, if you will obey my, my commandments, he will give you rain for your land in its season. He says, take care lest you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, that the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so there's no more rain. God put them under this conditional covenant. Do good, gold star. Do bad, spanking, okay? I'm glad we're not currently under that. Now we have grown up that we, can, we will instinctively obey the things that are within the law or desire to instinctively obey the things that are in the law. That's what Jeremiah 31 was talking about when God said, I'm going to make a new covenant. The old covenant was in their hands, okay? It was just some external thing telling them, you do good, otherwise there's trouble. He says, but now, he says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. That there's going to be an instinctive desire for righteousness through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, that is the first evidence that you're a true child of God. It's that you have an innate desire to, to serve God, an innate desire to know Him, an innate desire to live righteously, and you have this newfound hatred to sin. Doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean you never do wrong, but you have the longing to be right. Verse 25, Paul says, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take the Lord's Supper, it says that we proclaim. It's a word that means to tell plainly. He's saying that the Lord's Supper is an object lesson for us in the church. So that when your lost friends come to church and they see the Lord's table, and you're like, they're like, what is that about? You can tell them the gospel through the, through the crackers and the juice, right? Your kid says, Mom, can I have that? No, you can't. Why can't you? Well, let me tell you about what this means. And it's, it's an opportunity to tell plainly what Jesus has done. He also says, as often as you do it. There's no prescribed frequency of the Lord's Supper. Uh, in the past, I know the church has done it quarterly, uh, but just talking to the deacons, I said, man, you, if somebody misses the Lord's Supper one time, that brother or sister might go six months without the Lord's Supper. Friends, the Lord's Supper is a signpost to us, is a reminder of what Jesus has done. It's a reminder to be unified, and we're going to see in a second, it's a reminder to get right with God. I don't need that every six months. I need that pretty regular. And so we will be observing the Lord's Supper more frequently than quarterly, closer to monthly, because we want to continually recalibrate to what God wants us to do. Um, it's also a time of reflection. Verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and then eat of the bread and then drink of the cup. Now, unworthy, guilty of the body and blood of the Lord sound like really serious accusations. It's simply saying that when we take of the Lord's Supper as just a meaningless, empty ritual that that is sin. We have not taken the time to worship God by contemplating what Jesus had to do to save us. Unworthy means that we intend to keep living for the sin for which Christ died. That's just unconscionable, right? Jesus gave everything because of sin. And then as a believer, to still push Christ aside and choose to live for things that Jesus says are wrong is an unworthy partaking of the Lord's Supper. We haven't thought through the sin. <clears throat> so, what, so what? What if we go on living in sin as a believer? He says, verse 28, if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. You say, well, no problem. I'll just never take the Lord's Supper. Can I just assure you, friends, it's not the Lord's Supper that brings judgment on your life. It's the sin. Avoiding the Lord's Supper will not cause you God's wrath to be averted. It will not cause his chastening hand not to be there. It's, this is a signpost. It's a, it's a time to remember. It's a reminder. It's, it's red flashing lights. Get right with God. Do not invite his chastening hand because that's what God does. If we're truly children of God, then God is going to love us like a responsible parent. Hebrews 12, 6 says, whom the Lord loves. What does he do? He chastens. Earthly parents are that way too. If you really love your child, you're going to chasten them. Oh, but I want him to be my friend. 
then you care more about yourself than your child. You're not discerning what is best for your child. God, in the same way, is not so foolish. He cares more about our holiness than our happiness. And so at times, God will bring chastening in, not because he's vindictive or hateful toward us. Friends, that chastening is love. He desires our holiness too much to allow us to live a life of sin and for us to self-destruct. And so discipline of God is love. What does that discipline look like? Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, he says, for this reason, because some of us, we, uh, we don't examine our heart, we don't examine our life. <clears throat> it says, for this reason, or that is why, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Hang on. Are you telling me that there are people in Unity Baptist Church who are sick right now, possibly? because of ongoing sin in their life that they've not dealt with? I don't know that firsthand, by the way. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the case. But what does the text say? Because some of you, actually he says many of you, because many of us, we don't discern the Lord's body and how he died for sin and willingly remove that sin from our life. For that reason, we test God. We invite the chastening hand of God. It's kind of like when you tell your, your boy to pick up his toys. Jimmy, pick up your toys. Jimmy doesn't pick up his toys. A few minutes later, Jimmy, what did I tell you? Pick up your toys. He still doesn't do it. It's only when you rise up out of the chair. Jimmy, now Jimmy goes back to work. Oh, and he's got the, he's got the devotion of a Benedictine monk. And he's just, oh, I'm going to do it, Mom. Yes, ma'am. Yes, right away. And he gets about his business because he knows uh, you know, there's a possibility of bodily harm. And so he's, he's going to pick up those toys now. God isn't this way. He's not a threat and repeat parent who doesn't follow through. When God sees us living in disobedience, it's his love that drives us, or that drives him to chasten us, to bring him back, bring us back to himself. And if this goes on too long, what will happen? What does the text say? For this reason, or this is why, many of you are weak and ill, and some, what does your Bible say? Some have died. Are you telling me that sometimes God if you have a believer who is a true child of God, lives in perpetual, habitual sin, destructive in the church, that God might take that believer home? I'm not saying it, but Paul did. That can happen. Read 1 John 5. He says there is a sin unto death, that God takes sin very seriously, and he's, God is a good parent. He's not going to let us destroy ourselves through sin. Now, it needs to be said here, too, not all sickness, not all death, is due, to, is, is due to a person's habitual sin. So every time we do a funeral, we don't walk by and go, I wonder what got John. Got someone to visit in the hospital, I wonder what Mary did. You know, we don't do that. And by the way, this, the Lord's Supper, it's a not time, a time for us to examine the lives of our friends. It's a time for us to examine ourselves, to line ourselves up with, with God's purposes. He says, when we are judged of the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Once again, he's saying that this is a loving thing that God does. He's telling you as a child, this hurts you, me, more than it hurts you. I care about you. I'm not going to let you destroy yourself like the rest of the world. I want what's best for you, and sometimes I'm going to bring in pain to, to teach that lesson or drive it home. You know, when I go to take the Lord's Supper, I think of a story I heard. Uh, I've got some friends in Monroe County, Georgia. And these Georgia friends, they love to get together for Fourth of July holidays and picnics and things. 
And uh, what do people in Georgia like to do when they come together for Fourth of July? You get all the neighbors together, they pool their money together, and you have the world's most fantastic illegal fire, you know, fireworks celebration you can possibly have. And, and so they had, and I'm not talking snakes and sparklers like we played with as a kid. I'm talking mortars. You ever, you ever see a mortar before and play with one? You know, you shouldn't play with one of those. Uh, but these mortars, just these big tubes, okay, and then you take this ball that looks like a big bomb from some old-timey cartoon, and it's got this long fuse on it, and you drop it in this thing, and you light the fuse, and it's really long because it, you need to get time to get away from that sucker. And so you back way off, and you're, hey, here it comes, you know, and, that it, and when it goes off, you and your neighbors and your mama over in California knows that you launched something because it just reverberates and shakes your belly. And it goes up and it lights up the whole night sky like you're at Disney. Mortars. Well, this family had a dog. And I, I want to say it was like a chocolate lab or something like that. And we're going to call him Bubba to protect his identity. Well, Bubba, see, you know, he's done eating off all the kids' styrofoam plates and eating, you know, half-eaten hamburgers. And he sees everybody celebrating this this thing, this stick coming out of the ground. And so Bubba comes up and, you know, one of the guys, he goes up and he lights the fuse and he runs back. Here it comes, here it comes. Well, there goes Bubba. You see where this is going. If you have weak constitutions, friends, you may leave now. Uh, Bubba goes over and he, he open mouth bites the top of this mortar and carries it around like a cigar. Okay, and so what is the family going to do? They're shouting at Bubba, Bubba! Let it go! Bubba, drop it, drop it! But when you yell at a dog, what does he do? <laughs> he's like, the game is on. And so he's running around, he's running away from people. He's, uh, he's having a great time with this. He's like, this is the most fun we've ever had. I see why you guys are enjoying this. All the while, that fuse is just... And Bubba has no idea something's about to happen. Now, friends, I wish I had a happy ending to this story, but I don't. Bubba played with that thing all the way to the very end. And despite all the family yelling at him, all the family waving him down and telling him he needs to drop it, drop it, drop it, he kept it in his mouth anyway. He didn't understand. He did not discern the seriousness of the situation. Friends, what is communion? Communion is a time for us to drop the mortar. Sometimes God's people, we're carrying around something that we think looks like a lot of fun. I mean, after all, there's a lot of other people enjoying it. There's a lot of other people who are having a great time with this thing, and there's a fuse on that sin. Like Proverbs 7, you read that story about the man who goes after the immoral woman. At the very end of the passage, it says, basically, an arrow pierces his liver. He went after her, it says, not knowing it would cost him his life. Sin, friends, all sin has a fuse on it. And we can carry it around, and it seems like a great time, but we don't know when it's going to blow up on us, when it's going to destroy us, when it's going to consume something in our life. And so the best thing to do, since we don't know how long that sin's fuse is, is just to today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Drop the mortar. That's part of the Lord's Supper's message. It's a time of reconciliation, a time to seek out others and make things right, to protect the unity in this church it's a time of remembering, remembering what Jesus, the, the high cost that had to be paid for sin. And it's a time of reflection. It's a time to drop the mortar. It's a time to look at our heart and say, search my heart, God, and see if there's a wicked way in me. We're going to drop that which is destructive to us so that we can live in the joy of, of an unbroken fellowship with Christ. 
And so today, we're going to have a time just of, of prayerful reflection. We're going to have a time where we're going to ask God to examine our hearts. God, we can lie to ourselves, but we're going to ask God to get past the lies and help us to see our sin truly. Not to defend it, not to excuse it, not to cover it up. Just to expose it to God and say, God, here it is. Help me to repent and not just confess that it's wrong. Acknowledging that there's sin in my life isn't going to do anything for you. Acknowledging and walking away from it, confessing and forsaking your sins. That's what God is desiring from us today. Not because he wants to kill our joy, but because he loves you too much to let us destroy ourselves in sin. And so we're going to take a time out this morning to, to pause and reflect on that as the, as the elements are being distributed, as they're being brought to you. And I pray that that will be your knee-jerk response to the Lord's Supper every time we take it. And so at this time, <clears throat> I will go ahead and have uh, folks, they'll come forward, and uh, we're going to be distributing these elements to you. Take this time to look at your heart and say, God, is there a mortar in my mouth? Is there something I'm playing with that I should have dropped a long time ago? And give it up to him. Is there somebody in this room or somebody around in my life that I need to get right with? Friends, this is the opportunity. This is the moment. This is the time that we give this back to the Lord. Let's make good use of this signpost in our life of the Lord's Supper. Let us discern his body. And let us take it seriously. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that this has been an encouragement to you. If you're interested in our gathering times or just want more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland. Join us next week as we open God's Word together. <laughs>